Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com/necpodcast. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com/necpodcast. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash NEC podcast. Schools around the corner, do you have an idea where you plan to get your medical coding and building education? Consider CareerStep. CareerStep offers online courses, flexible scheduling, and a HEMA-approved curriculum. After graduation, you get a voucher to take your CCA or CPC exam. CareerStep is also a My Career Advancement account, approved school funding for military spouse education. For the month of August, our listeners can get a free laptop or $400 off tuition, a Kindle Fire for your digital textbooks, and a 100 e-gift card for back-to-school shopping. To redeem this great offer, you'll need to enroll by August 15th by going to careerstep.medicalcodinggeek.com. That's careerstep.com. MedicalCodingGeek.com. Hello, listeners. I wanted to give you a little surprise and give you a bonus episode with Dr. Cesar Limhoko. Dr. Cesar Limhoko recorded so much content, I had to give you another episode. So let's get started. Hi, I am Dr. Cesar Limhoko, and you are listening to Not Elsewhere Classified. You are listening. You are listening. You're listening to. Do not to not elsewhere. Not elsewhere. Elsewhere. Elsewhere classified. Welcome to Not Elsewhere Classified, a podcast about the medical coding, health information technology, and clinical documentation improvement community. I'm your host, Brian Kui. Hello listeners, I'm happy to announce that our podcast is ranked in the top 200 podcasts in the careers category in Apple Podcasts. This was totally unexpected, but this could not have happened without all your support. Let me take a moment and give a shout out to those who left us a review. S'mores1216 said, this is a wonderful way to learn about the HIM field. I wish this was available when I was in school. The guests have been wonderful with their insight. Keep up the great work. MCRHIA14 says, Great job and thank you for making this for HIM professionals. Scarlet Rain says, Each episode has been very informative and engaging. I'm in the medical coding field and am studying to take my CPC exam and have found this very helpful. I can't wait to hear more. If you haven't already, make sure you go to Apple Podcasts what used to be called iTunes, hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and a review. This will help the podcast get noticed. And it's nice to see the reviews that will help us improve future episodes. In today's episode, we continue on with the clinical truth by continuing our conversation on post-operative respiratory insufficiency and a favorite topic of Dr. Lim Hoko, sepsis. As a side note, I did have issues with the audio toward the end of the episode. So you will hear a slight audio disturbance on my end, but I try to eliminate it as best as I can. So again, without further ado, the continuation of The Clinical Truth with Dr. Cesar Limhoko. Enjoy. Uh, which was 
asked of me earlier. And there's this new ICD-10 code about post-op respiratory insufficiency mm-hmm. oh, after gosh. a thor- 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 thoracic surgery, right? And then it's coming out of major CC. Oh no! It's like, <laughs> oh well, no! Who, who, oh no! Who came up with this sort of thing? I mean, this sort of things are the things that really put a it, it puts a, a an impedance to the progress of what we're doing. Right. It's, ta- it make, it's taking everything backwards. Yes. And it's lessening the severity of what that. I don't know how, who made that decision to make an MCC, but yes, you know it de- definitely lowers the severity and actuality. Again, lessening the clinical truth on this instance. I don't know. It's again the almighty dollar is behind all of this. You know, certain lobbies, certain <laughs> specialties. Well, that, I don't know. I'm sure next year, Doctor Lamhoko, we need to go to that ICD-10, you know, maintenance committee, uh, and and definitely kind of like you know throw our our flags up whenever we hear something. You know, I used to go there Did you? Uh, back, in, back in the 80s. Um, it was interesting. At that time, it was held in Washington, D.C. Uh-huh. And it was it was a pretty learned, uh, educated, really highly respected people there. And um, I, I, I would be in awe when, when I would go to the committee um, because they knew where things were. You know, if you say, okay, this code, or this diagnosis needs to be in this thing because the way the, the, the structure, the architecture of the codes are made, you can't put it here because otherwise it will be in, in conflict with this or oh, you won't have anywhere to expand. I mean, they have this kind of like more like a, a computer knowledge of all these codes in their head. They're like you know, the they're like the matrix of of, yes, <laughs> of they, medical they, coding. They see all the matrix. <laughs> they see all the matrix and I'm just amazed. I, I'm just like especially there's one there's this one person there. I'm sure he's retired now, but he had like an encyclopedic knowledge of the matrix, of the coding wow. matrix. Wow. It was amazing. Unbelievable. And here we are, we're, we're, then, we're, uh, we're geeking out on this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you talk about the ICD-9 CM co- co- Coordination Maintenance Committee. Uh-huh. Um, uh, that's where I met Dr. Oz. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, Dr. He, Oz. He, he was a strapping, young, um, cardiovascular surgeon right. from Presbyterian Hospital uh-huh. at that time. He was the head. He was the chief of, of, of open heart surgery. So you're telling me you met him at an ICD-10, uh, I'm not, ICD-9 medical coding updating committee? Yes, oh he, he was there to present this device. It was the LVAD, which mm. had no code at that point. So at Columbia Presbyterian, they, they made this thing, they invented this thing, and it's helping a lot of people and he was telling how it was helping a lot of people because a lot of people are waiting in line for a cardiac transplant for heart transplant and are dying mm-hmm. so this LVAD is helpful to bridge that gap so that they can get to their heart transplant ah okay so he he actually brought example a sample of, of the and then he he, he passed it around mm-hmm. but this is what the importance um, uh, the story is when he came up in front of the committee 
he was nervous. <laughs> oh, wow. really? Said, this is the before. Said, this is before he had a show, right? Yes, he said. You know what? I never presented to a, such a learned group of people. I am. I am really, really nervous. He said, oh, and goodness. we all we all laughed. Oh no! <laughs> and look, look where he is now. Maybe uh, that's. I think that's what it took. Maybe it took <laughs> a, a medical coding committee to straighten them out and get them started. Can you probably? Would you think that's true? Yeah, it's, it's it, you know he was in his scrubs as as, as always he was he was in scrubs, and he was a young guy at that point. And here here I was looking up looking at him. I said, "This guy is amazing. He actually holds hearts every single day of the year. I mean, the hearts of people are literally in his hands and their lives." And here he is, he's, he's trembling because <laughs> he thinks he's, you know, he's not worthy or something. <laughs> no, yeah. Now look at him now. He's a, <laughs> yes. he's a, he's a big shot now, right? right. Uh, all right. So you were going back to the post-op respiratory insufficiency, right? Did you want to elaborate a little bit more on that? Well, first of all, respiratory insufficiency is something that really doesn't have a lot of severity of illness. Respiratory failure has a lot of severity of illness because the lack of oxygenation, the inability to blow off carbon dioxide has reached the, has reached the point that it's unable to sustain life if, if, if you don't intervene. That's respiratory failure. Insufficiency is you haven't reached that point. You're still, you know, you have a patient who's still having a hard time breathing, you know, for whatever reason, asthma or COPD exacerbation or pneumonia, but can still maintain some sort of oxygenation and can still probably blow off carbon dioxide. Okay, so you can see insufficiency is not, I mean, it's not, it's not as, uh, you know, as as or has severity of illness compared to failure. And this probably will be a future article <laughs> when it comes Pro out for you, right? Yeah. And you probably hear it from me, like, well, well, you know, because most of the articles that you have kind of stem from me, right? <laughs> when I ask those questions, like, I guess what I'm thinking now is like, okay, well, you know, when you're thinking about severity, you know, it's it's like, what's the order? Is it respiratory insufficiency, then respiratory failure, then post-op? respiratory insufficiency and then post-op respiratory failure so that's something for well, you to think you, about when you that's a good point because when when you have a, a problem respiratory difficulty after surgery you're you're dealing with a more um how would say this um you reach a certain level it, that 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 patient is 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 down and out you know um it's it's go it's has, has just finished surgery and it's his, it has a long way to recovery. And, and if he starts having some respiratory difficulties, it's, a, it's in a different light, right? It, it's, you're, you know, it's, it's, you know your, your, your base, your baseline is, is a little bit more treacherous, right? But, but you can have patients who may be having respiratory difficulty after surgery, because the patient is on meds, 
you know, uh, like painkillers that depresses the respiratory center or some kind of uh, anesthetic. Yeah, right. You know? They're recovering from so anesthesia. It's, it's, it's part of the process after surgery that the patient goes into this weaning protocol that starts from a patient being fully dependent on a ventilator during surgery and that ventilation ventilator being weaned off. So in the process, you will have some patients with a respiratory difficulty in the beginning, but that's something that's kind of, you know, something that you would expect because the patient has been through a lot, especially after thoracic exactly, surgery. Right. It's not going to be a, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's going to be different for a patient who is truly in respiratory failure. So why are they making respiratory failure the same, uh, the respiratory insufficiency, the same major CC as a respiratory failure? Exactly. So when you put it side by side, it doesn't make sense. Right. So, you know, um, the system, the coding system, the coding architecture, nomenclature and all of that, it's not perfect. Of course, because it was made by human beings. But, you know, it's, again, you know, um, because it's an imperfect thing, people should not be taking advantage of it for some other reason, which is usually money, right? All right, let's take a moment and hear a word from our sponsor. This episode of Not Elsewhere Classified is sponsored by Integrity Coding, Building, and Educational Development. If you're looking to be trained as a certified medical coder, want to learn medical terminology, or looking for a private tutor, look to Integrity Coding. Integrity Coding offers courses online and in the Boston area. They build their foundation on instructing students on the fundamentals of coding guidelines, small engaging class sizes, and fair and reasonable prices. To learn more about Integrity Coding, their upcoming coding events, or need assistance in the Boston, Massachusetts area, go to their website, IntegrityCoding.com. That's IntegrityCoding.com. Let's go on to the next portion. Sepsis. You ready for sepsis, Dr. Lamarco? <laughs> I'm always ready. Okay. <laughs> okay. We're, again, you're not giving a lecture, Dr. Lamhoko. All right. So, I mean, you have like countless articles on sepsis. All right. So that's my question is, is why is sepsis an intriguing topic for you to share? And you've shared it multiple times. I think to me, you're like, and you mentioned this, you're like the septic king, right? Uh, <laughs> why is no, it? I just said, no, I said I was, I was septic. Oh, you're septic. No, I just said you're the septic king, right? <laughs> Well, I guess the idea is like you're to me, like whenever I see you do articles, it seems like you're such a big advocate for the truth of sepsis. And so uh, kind of elaborate what, what was what's been going on without getting too much. Dr. Lamhoko, <laughs> kind of like give me a general. We only like, have 10 minutes. I know. Just give me a general idea. Like what, why is it that to me to offer to you? Why is sepsis so important? Uh, and trying to understand what it really is and what it really should be and how it affects and then applies also to the clinical truth. Well, you know, um, there's been an article that came out also um, about sepsis still being 
one of the most um, problematic um, admissions um, with high mortality. You know, you know, it, it's hard to, you know, to, to treat. And with that in mind, you know, um, the idea is to catch them early. And that's what happened with the sepsis 1.0 um, criteria. They wanted to, the industry wanted to put out a wide net to catch as much sepsis there are out there, even the early sepsis. And when you put them into the sepsis protocol, then you have better outcomes because you're catching them early. But the problem is when you cast a wide out net in the ocean, it's not only fish that you're going to catch, there'll be other animals that are going to be in there that are not sepsis. And that's where the problem arose is that, yes, we're doing good, but we're calling everybody sepsis. And that's not right. Not everyone who comes through the doors of the hospital with two out of four criteria is going to be septic. You really need to make a distinction between a local regular infection like pneumonia, cellulitis, appendicitis, cholecystitis, from something that's more sinister, something wherein there is systemic repercussions, and that's what sepsis is. Now, the problem with calling it sepsis stems way back, more than 20 years ago. It, you know, um, when, I, when I came into healthcare, you know, I myself thought that I have to have the blood cultures positive to call it sepsis. But that's not the basis for sepsis. Because you can have bacteria in the blood, but the patient are not septic. You can also have patients with no bacteria in the blood, but are septic. And the, uh, the idea, and, and with that 1992 criteria, the SERS criteria came out, it really gave us an idea of what's going on, why the patient with a local infection becomes septic. And then all this cascading pathways with the interleukins, the cytokines, and what have you coming for, it's, it's really an overwhelming response to an infection. It's a, it's a system, an immune system, that has gone awry or has gone crazy. That instead of, instead of fighting the invaders, it's now fighting its own self, shutting blood supply to all the vital organs and killing itself. That's what sepsis is. That's the end result of sepsis. But there's a, you know, there's a continuum before it gets to that point of organ failure or multiple organ failures. And that's the tricky part. How can you identify when the patients are not yet in full organ failure, when they're still maybe on the insufficiency state? Let, 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 me, let me put it this way, just on the practical side, because 
it can go to the steps three, steps two criteria, and it, it, it's just a lot of information. But to be practical, when, when you have a patient with, with an infection, the reason why you start thinking the patient's sepsis is the patient is manifesting things that you won't normally see in just a regular infection. Okay, and what are those things? An altered mental state. You won't usually find that if, if it's just a regular infection. But there are the things that cause altered mental state. Even hypovolemia, like dehydration, especially in the elderly patient population, they will get altered mental state. So you have to, you know, you have to prove that first before you can say that's that's actually because the altered mental state in that point may be an indication of metabolic encephalopathy. Which is another, hypo- which is another story. <laughs> another story. <laughs> another. The hypotension. You know, you, you don't normally see a patient getting hypotensive because the patient has cellulitis, you know, because that will start making you think if that hypotension becomes really worse and becomes patient becomes shocky, now you're talking about septic shock. But the hypotension can be can be also caused by other stuff, like again hypovolemia <laughs> or the patient is on other medication or the patient has some other disease process that's causing hypotension, you know? So you see those parameters that we're talking about? You first have to distinct, uh, uh, dispel other etiologies that, that, that may explain why that feature is in that patient. It's like a hot, as a hot tangled mess <laughs> yes. that you have to weed out every you part of the source out. criteria you to have figure to unravel, out what it is. And you just can't put say, oh, oh, the patient is this, oh, sepsis. You know, you just can't. That's not what medicine. It's, it's is like it's about. like it's like my nine-year-old daughter's hair. She's very she has very curly hair, but if you don't comb it for a couple of days, then it really get, it really gets <laughs> tangled up, and it takes a while just to go through it. So, like at least, and I can relate to this, Doctor Limhoko, is when whenever uh, I've been reviewing uh, charts for sepsis, the immediate thing is to think like, okay, well, sepsis is that the end game? It shouldn't be the end game. So you have to, and I, I can see why you, you talk about this a lot because it's a, again, like a tangled mess. It's a hot tangled mess uh, where it needs and, to and a, also, a big home. one of the things that, that people forget to do is you have to see the arc, the, the course. That means you, you see how the patient's symptoms respond to therapy. And a certain, sepsis will have a certain way of responding to therapy. You know, it won't resolve within four to six hours. The ultimate mental state will not go back that quick or the hypotension, but hypovolemia will. Hypovolemia and altered mental status or even uh, prerenal azotemia will return back to baseline after four to six hours of hydration. So if the patient wakes up and becomes goes back to normal within four to six hours, you know the patient's not septic. <laughs> That's not sepsis, right? Exactly. It, it's dehydration. Exactly. You you can you can discharge a patient within twenty four hours or forty eight hours, or so. And some people even stretch it to seventy two hours. And that is the basis of your query: is the fact that we're doing these reverse queries, these clinical validation queries, and you include that as part of one of those clinical indicators as far as like you know, uh, hypovolemia. You know, they they recover. 
and like you mentioned the arc so quickly so quickly you know sepsis after one day wow i mean is that is your meta, did you, what kind of antibiotics did you give uh, you know those type of questions <laughs> you have to think like what did you put in that iv you know yeah what what you need to remind the physicians is this do you think that this case about sepsis for sepsis is going to withstand scrutiny Thank you again, Dr. Cecilum Hogo, for providing our listeners with your time, knowledge, and experience. You can check out Dr. Cecilum Hogo on LinkedIn and also on ICD10Monitor.com. Coming up on the next episode of Not Elsewhere Classified. So here's 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 my advice. Uh, I think that you need to just embrace your profession. You need to think of yourself as being a value-added coder. Not Elsewhere Classified is presented and produced by Medical Coding Geek. Music was brought to you by 43 and Coyote Hearing. Medical Coding Geek offers tutoring and media services for the medical coding, health information, and CDI community. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MED Coding Geek. That's MED Coding Geek. You can also find us on our website, medicalcodinggeek.com, where you can find and listen to all the podcast episodes plus the show notes from today. Make sure to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. We would definitely appreciate it. And again, thank you for being part of this podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kui, and you have just listened to Not Elsewhere Classified. MedicalCodingGeek.com This podcast is supported by Weebly.com. Have a product? Building a company? You'll need a website. Create your site with Weebly's drag-and-drop website builder and responsive themes without any technical experience. Believe me, I built my website in under 30 minutes. It really is that easy. Listeners of this podcast will receive a 10% discount on any Weebly subscription plan or promote plan. To get this discount, go to Weebly. That's W-E-E-B-L-Y dot medicalcodinggeek.com. Again, that's weebly.medicalcodinggeek.com.